Well, we're continuing uh, a lesson on the sins of speech. This is part two. If you remember last week, uh, we were talking about steering the stumbling tongue. We, in verse one of James chapter three, if you don't have your Bibles, you can open it up to James chapter three. We were discussing how important it is to steer the stumbling tongue. And James reminds us in verse one of just the importance of being a teacher and warning uh, these brethren that wanted to go into the ministry that were not ready, and they were often stumbling with their tongue. And then he gives us many illustrations in verses uh, 3 to 5 about how that tongue uh, can be so hard to steer. Right? We, we looked at the ship, the rudder there. Uh, we looked at the horse and the bit in the mouth of the horse. And then we were talking a little bit about that spark uh, in that great forest, right? It becomes uh, inflamed. And so that's what we're going to look a little bit more into today, uh, the, the tongue. And, and today we're going to title it, Taming the Inflamed and Inconsistent Tongue. So in this lesson, I want us to notice how humbling the truth of this simple tongue can be. It should drive us to our knees and, and to say, Lord, this is not easy. Please help me. Right? We ought to confess our weakness, knowing how dangerous this tongue can be. We're going to discuss the need for believers to be consistent in their speech if they claim to follow the Lord Jesus. And so let's read our text this morning. Uh, James chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. If you got it, say amen. amen. All righty, here we go. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members at that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. For every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Nor can salt water produce flesh. Fresh. All right, if you have a review sheets, we're going to be using them throughout um, this lesson. I've underlined a couple of things here um, just to keep track. So let's start off in verse 6. We see here that the tongue is a fire, right? And so right off the bat, James starts with this metaphor. We know that the tongue literally isn't a fire, but he's given us a picture, an illustration. Obviously, he continues what he started in verse 5. Look back there. It says, And see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. Remember, he was focused on how the tongue is so small, like a bit, like a rudder, a, a tiny spark. And here he's going to say, It is a dangerous fire, right? It is able to destroy whatever it comes into contact with. And so just a little picture there. The tongue is a fire. It can be active, aggressive, right? And the tongue is so dangerous if it's left uncontrolled. So we're talking about the tongue of fire. And what does James continue with this? He says, look at verse six, the very world of iniquity. All right, so when we're thinking of the world, many times we like to think about like this earth. But what is he getting at? Well, it's the present state 
of affairs or scheme of things organized on the basis of man's sinfulness. So when you're thinking world, uh, in the context of James, uh, remember he's talking about to not be stained from the world. And so uh, the world is really talking about the unrighteous nature of man, how they're hostile to God and how they reject Christ. And so we ought to think of how uh, the world characterized by all that falls short of being right with God. And so what's the main point here? Talking about the world of iniquity, of unrighteousness. My first main point here is the tongue is often used to sin. So why don't you guys give me some examples? What are some examples of ways that the tongue can be used to sin? Gossip, number one. Uh-huh. Mm, insults, okay. That's a good one. Lies, yes. Even those little white lies. Not a big lie, right? No, still sin. Anyone else? I mean, let's, let's be honest. The tongue can be used to sin in so many different ways. Throughout the book of James, what did we learn? Uh, be impartial, right? You can tell the poor person, hey, go sit over there. And you could tell the rich person, sit right here in front of me. Um, and so there's many ways we can sin. You know, slander, like Victor mentioned, lies. Um, And so the tongue is often used to sin. Continuing in verse 6, we see here the tongue of defilement. Look there, it says, The tongue is set among our members at that which defiles the entire body. And so you could just picture, uh, maybe you have a really nice shirt, it's it's white, right? Um, And then you get some ketchup on it, right? You get a bad stain on it and you're like, Oh, I'm never going to use this again. So just picture the tongue really being able to infect every part of your body. It, it is that destructive. Um, and so the word here is, is to stain. And, and I want you to look at something really important in James chapter 1, verse 27. Because this is the opposite of what we're called to be. Look at James 1, 27. It says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Okay, so being a doer of the word... Part of that is visiting orphans and widows in their distress, right? Caring for the needy. And then, not only that, it's also to keep oneself unstained by the world, right? To be clean from the world. And so, here we're getting what the tongue has the potential to do, and that is uh, not being a doer of the word. That is staining uh, our body. And another interesting point here. James was focusing on the Godward aspect of the tongue first, right? How it is offense to God to speak arrogantly. And now he's going to continue about the self-word aspect and how this tongue defiles uh, ourselves, right? It spreads throughout uh, the person. And so the tongue is the source of defilement. Uh, many times we, we overlook this little uh, object, this little thing in our mouths. Obviously, it goes deeper. It's not talking about the literal tongue. It's talking about what comes out of the mouth, right, uh, is what comes out of the heart and, and what we say. And so we need to be very cautious uh, with this tongue. Last week, uh, we, we spoke about how evil thoughts and murders, adulterers, uh, come out of the mouth. And so when we are sinning with our tongue, we're doing exactly what God has not called us to do. If you look at verse 6, it continues, it says, and sets on fire the course of our entire life. And so just picture how uh, the tongue has influence on your whole life, right? And so 
our whole life will be negatively impacted when we sin with our tongue. So it doesn't just affect that little lie or that little gossip. doesn't just affect the little part of your life. It affects your whole life. Continuing with the tongue of hell in verse 6. Uh, I really like this part of the verse. Look at, look at verse 6. It sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. So the word here in the Greek is Gehenna. And uh, you need to think about how uh, Gehenna was used uh, you know, in the Old Testament and you know, throughout Bible times. It was a place of pagan worship, uh, pagan origins, right? What would they do there? They would pass children through the fire for this false god, Molech, uh, that Canaanite god, right? Uh, and so uh, there's this valley south of Jerusalem, right? The Valley of Hinnom. And, and that's where they would do these wicked acts. And so James is reminding us of that. And what ends up happening during the times of Jesus, we know he often uses this word, Gehenna. And what is it a picture of? It's a picture of this place where they would burn trash, right? It's a, it's a place where um, there's burning sewage, burning flesh, right? Human bodies that, you know, they had to get rid of, garbage, it's disgusting. It's where the worms and the maggots are. It's uh, just unclean and the fires just never cease, right? And obviously that's pointing to the real picture of the lake of fire and, and how that is going to be a place of agony and torment. And so uh, a point I have for us here is Satan is thrilled when we use the tongue to sin. Many times uh, this little tongue, we forget uh, it's a tool in Satan's hands. Think about spiritual warfare for a second, right? Um, it's so easy to just want to say, you know, my tongue, I could, I could use it for everything. I could use it to, to make jokes. I could use it to, um, you know, make fun of people. I could use it to speak bad about this person. No, no, no. God is not calling us to use the tongue for wicked purposes. He's calling us to use it for good. And so let me ask you, do you have any questions or comments about just the dangers of the tongue? Um, or maybe in your life, has there been a time in your place where you notice, oh snap, I got to be careful because I'm saying something. I'll give you one example, but you know, I want to wait for you guys. Do you have any examples of maybe, oh, I, I used the tongue in the wrong way this week. It doesn't have to be too personal, but I'll, I'll give you one. If, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think of, you could raise your voice, nothing wrong with like, you know, making sure they get the point, but then you could get to the point of just anger, because you're not getting your way. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, one example I'll give you, it's kind of funny. Um, yesterday I was at a birthday party for my, um, for my nephew, right, he's turning two, and listen man, I need to be careful with the tongue. I opened the refrigerator and I said, who made this ghetto flan? Like, you know, ghetto is like a bad way of saying like, what? so it's like, it, it was a, someone made a pastry, but it wasn't like, like you see in the store when you buy it and it's a beautiful tasting, you know, flan or whatever. But it, anyways, it was good, but I said it out loud. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm with my family. I'm very comfortable with my family. 
And then my sister looked at me. Shh. And then my brother's like, yo, chill. And then I'm like, what? And he's like, my wife made that. I'm like, oh, no. And I was like, did she hear? Oh, no. So I was like, all right, let me get some. I'm going to eat some right now. I felt terrible. Um, but I just said it like, you know, I'm just being myself. Hey, who made this get off? We need to be careful, guys. We need to be careful, you know, especially in certain environments, you know, all the kids running around and your guard is down. Um, and you can say something you regret and it could hurt someone's feelings like really badly. And, you know, obviously different people could be sensitive, take it very personal. I, I didn't I wasn't trying to target anyone. I just just spoke out loud. Right. Um, but, yeah, we need to be careful with that. All right. Let's continue here. Uh, unless anyone has questions about the inflamed tongue. Right? Remember, it's like a fire. Has anyone tried stopping a fire before? It is not easy, okay? That's why we call the, uh, call the 911 and, you know, the fire department comes and with their hoses. It is a scary image trying to t- uh, turn off a fire. So, all right. James continues in verse 7 here. It says, for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea, is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. Uh, and so what do we see here? We see the present tense, see an active tense here. So this is something that's happening, right? We see this throughout our time and throughout history, that animals have been tamed, right? Different types of animals. We got, what, we got reptiles, mammals, all these different types of animals, sea creatures, um, it should remind us of something. Where was the beginning of where man started taming animals? Genesis. So why don't you turn there? Look at Genesis 126. Genesis 126. The creation story. But God doesn't just create just to create and say, okay, no purpose in that. No. Look what he tells us in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish, or subdue, right, the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God uh, gave man um, this authority over creation. We see this also in Genesis 9. With Noah and the ark, right? Genesis 9. Look at verse 2 there. It reads, The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky, with everything that creeps on the ground. And all the fish of the sea, into your hand they are given. So you see here, water, land, sky. We have dominion over these creatures. And God has given us a, you know, uh, a command to, to obey and, and to tame the animals. And so, let me ask you, what, what's the point of knowing that humans can tame animals? Uh, why is it that um, God has given us this command to follow? I, I mean, what does it show about the ability of, of humans that they can tame animals. What would you say? Try not reading the PowerPoint slide there. What what does this show? Mm-hmm. I think it shows order, like there's a fire, a rover. Mm-hmm. Um, order. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and there is a higher and a, and a lower because, you know, we're not, as, we're not equal to animals, right? We're not just mammals, right? Yeah, we share some characteristics like, you know, breastfeeding. You know, obviously we see some animals doing that. But we're not animals, right? We're different. What makes us different? Exactly, yeah, we're made in the image of God. So we'll get into that, um, but look at verse, uh, go back to James, James chapter 3. And so, we see here that humans can tame animals. Maybe you've been to a zoo recently, or a circus. You have these wild animals, you think, whoa, they're dangerous. But just with the snap of a finger, crack of the whip, Clapping of the hands, obviously usually you have some food. They can tame these animals. If you remember in Psalm 8, we, we read about that, verses 6 to 8, uh, of just how God has this order in creation. Um, and the word tame here, it means to subdue, which is to bring under control one's purpose. And remember, the whole uh, point of these uh, two lessons is talking about, do you control the tongue? And, and so here... Uh, James is telling us we control the animals, all right? Yes, we can control the animals. It's happened, and it does happen in history, right? Um, This is uh, the normal way of life. And so what does it showcase? It showcases that, yes, humans are are strong, right? They have strength, and they're also intelligent beings. And like Joe said, oh, no, the slide thing again. Like Joe said, we are created in the image of, of God. All right, let's continue here in verse 7. Look what it says. Uh, Verse 8, but no one can tame the tongue. And so I have this question for us. Is this a contradiction with James chapter 3 verse 2? Look at James chapter 3 verse 2. It says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. And, then, and, and so here's the question. Here we're saying, James, uh, no one can tame the tongue. But then in verse 2, he's saying, but a perfect man is able to tame the tongue. So is there any contradiction here? Or how do you harmonize these two truths? How do you put these two together? Think of, think of the first one. What is, what is he thinking about in James chapter uh, 3, verse 2? He's talking about sanctification, right? Maturity, uh, growing um, in that maturity. And so th- that one's focused on sanctification. Uh, we are going to be maturing uh, when we're able to control the tongue. Uh, not perfectly, but we are growing in that. And then here, he's giving a basic truth. Has anyone here ever tamed the tongue perfectly, completely? Right? And so there's no contradiction here. All men have stumbled in this regard, that we have sinned with the tongue. And so the truth here, that no one can tame the tongue, teaches us that humans are depraved. We are weak without God. And so there's this huge contrast between the ability to tame the animals and the inability to completely tame our tongue. And so it's ironic how we can control these beasts of like lions, right? Uh, tigers and all that. But We can't control the little beast in us, all right? And so how are we doing? Are we controlling the tongue for the most part? 
um, or are we uh, sinning with the tongue? Anyone have a dog here? Anyone have a dog? Are they easy to control? For the most part, if you, yeah, right? You could, you could tame, if you start them early, right? You can control or tame that, that dog. But have you ever been around a dog that doesn't have a good owner? Yeah, as soon as they're out the cage, they're just barking, ready to bite someone, right? Um, that's the tongue, right? It's in this little cage, and it wants to just come out and attack um, whoever comes near. And so we need to be very careful with this vicious animal. All right, look at verse 8 now. Verse 8, this restless evil. Uh, it says here, No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And so it's exhausting, right? It, this is restless. It's unreliable, this tongue that constantly wants to break out with vicious words. And the tongue ultimately sends us to the grave with its poison. And so just picture an old rusty car rotting away. The tongue is deadly like the poison of the serpent's tongue. And so uh, the logical question here is, how can the tongue kill us, right? Well, think about it. Um, you can get in a big uh, issue with somebody if you say, some, if you say something the wrong way or, or you know, uh, if, you, if you get arrogant and, and prideful, uh, it can lead to your demise. Uh, one person I think of is King Nebuchadnezzar, right? He is so proud, and he, he goes up to his rooftop of his beautiful, you know, just picture a nice kingdom, a temple, mansion, whatever you want to picture, and just praising and saying, this is for my glory, look at me, right? And a lot of, you know, kings or uh, presidents, even dictators do this. And what does God do? He humbles him, right? He starts to be crazy like a cow eating, um, you know, the grass. And, and so uh, we need to be very careful with this tongue. All right. Any questions or comments about the deadly tongue? I know we're talking about the tongue a lot today. Any questions or comments here? All right. So some applications for just this part here. Uh, very simply, uh, from what I gathered here in our text we ought to be humble, right? We need to notice this tongue is not easy. It's a challenge, right? And so we should be humbled by the fact that no one can tame the tongue perfectly, right? And so that's going to be um, how we interact with others as well. Maybe someone said something they shouldn't have said. Listen, it happens to me too, right? And so we need to be humble um, when it comes to uh, this truth of the tongue not being able to be tamed by anyone. Number two, uh, what does that mean? We need to ask God for help. Uh, only he can help us control this tiny beast. Uh, and so if you think you do it on your own, I just have to muster enough strength to just, you know, be quiet. Um, but then at that point, you know, you're just going to have duct tape, duct tape over your mouth and just never talk, right? And so that's why um, we need God to give us the patience, the love, um, the strength to uh, say things that edify rather than uh, destroy. All right, let's continue here in verse 9. The tongue of hypocrisy. Look at verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men. And so, here we see some hypocrisy. The tongue should not do this. Bless God and curse men, right? We're being inconsistent at 
true believers of God, when we use the tongue to bless and curse. God has called us to bless him and to bless others. And, and so I want you to see this in the, in the scriptures. Look at Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 43 to 44. We're called to pray for those who persecute us. We're called to love our enemies. And I just want you to see this here in Matthew 5, 43 to 45. If you got it, say amen. All right, here we go. Here's Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so God shows love to everyone. Um, He's gracious. He's kind. right? Even to his enemies. right? We were all once his enemies. And he was patient with us during our rebellion, during our times where we use the tongue in very sinful ways. And so we should be kind to others. And ideally, uh, if you go back to James chapter 3, it's because humans are made in the likeness of God. And so let's talk a little bit about the image of God. Uh, Just one quick example here of those who were being hypocrites, were the Pharisees. We spoke about that last week, so I won't get into it today, but uh, the Pharisees always uh, sin with their tongue. They were very uh, hateful. Uh, they didn't care for the poor. Um, but let's, let's talk about the image of God. Now, this is really important for us to grasp, right? Humans were made in the likeness of God, right? Man is a personal, rational, moral being. They are special creatures of God. Like I said, they're not just animals. They possess the attributes of reason, will, and conscience, as well as the ability to know and serve God and the capacity to be conformed to God's moral and spiritual likeness, right? Well, one way I like to think about it is we have a soul. We have a living soul. God, what he did with Adam, you know, he breathed into him life. And so, yes, we're not animals and we're also not angels, right? We're different. We were created in the image of God. We just spoke about Genesis 1.26, uh, so we won't go there, but if you keep reading in Genesis 1.27, right, we're created in the likeness of God, and then he continues, we're created in the image of God, right? And so what does that mean? I, I just think of a picture, right, a reflection. You're not the, ref- uh, so here's a mirror. You're looking at the mirror. Here, here am I, right? I'm the, I'm the real person, and here's the reflection. You're not the actual reflection, right? It's just an image. And so what you want to see yourself as, as an image bearer, okay, you're not God. Clearly, you're not God. You're not a little God or none of that. But you ought to reflect the beauty and majesty of God, right? His love, um, you know, his kindness. And so when sin entered into the world, it's like that mirror just broke, right? Even though we're still in the image of God, it's been tainted. It's been stained. And so... um, what, what does this mean for us, and what is James trying to get at here in uh, James chapter 3, verse 9? That we are called to have respect for every human being, right? We're called to, to love on them and to remember that they are image bearers. And so there should be no uh, racism. There should be no um, hatred towards others. We should love everyone we come in contact. All right, any questions or comments about that subject there? I have a question. Sure. Oh. Kind of re- you know, correct ourselves. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does that mean? 
Well, it's, it's amazing. Okay. It's amazing the Lord holds us accountable for even our thought life. He does. Even, even those little things. Now, yeah, it's obviously a great thing that you were able to, oh, stop, you know, to that part of the sin. But it just shows that we're, we're really depraved. Let's be honest. There's so many things that <laughs> we had a recorder of everything that went off in our minds and let everyone listen to it, we'll be like, what is going on with this person? Um, no, but here James is telling us uh, the main thing is obviously to, to stop the mouth from you know, breaking and damaging others. Obviously, the thinking, you shouldn't use that as an excuse. Well, as long as I don't you know, say something and think it, it's okay. No, we need to you know, repent of that as well. But that's a big step. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great point. I mean, um, we're going to be tempted. We are going to be tempted. Um, let's say maybe at your job, someone is pushing your buttons, and you're ready to say something, but instead of lashing out on them, cursing, saying all the bad things about them, you just politely tell them, "Can you please stop?" Right? I think that's a victory. I think that's a victory. You might still have that feeling in you, like you want to lash out and you need to pray, Lord, please help me not to feel like this. But I think that's showing that you're growing in sanctification because let's be honest, the old you would just lash out at that person. Right? Uh, so notice here in verse 10, uh, the mouth of hypocrisy. Uh, it's like he almost shifts gears a little bit, but not really. In verse 10, he says, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. We're talking about the tongue, aren't we? Same mouth? What's going on here? Uh, there is a transition from the tongue to the mouth, but the topic is still about speech. What I think uh, James is doing is reminding us of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's just using a lot of uh, pictures from there. Uh, and so one thing that I want us to look at here uh, is Matthew fifteen eleven. So go there to Matthew fifteen eleven. And we probably brought it up last week, but I think this will remind us here of just the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. Jesus calls them in verse 7, you hypocrites. Verse 8, people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain they worship me, teaching the doctrines of the precepts of men. And then look here, verse 10. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, hear and understand, it is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man. Remember, the Pharisees are so focused on what they're eating. Uh, they're focused on their man-made traditions. You've got to follow this, got to follow that. They're so focused on the exterior. But what does Jesus focus on? But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Right? Jesus is getting to the heart of the issue. Uh, and, and like he did in the Sermon on the Mount, he connects the mouth with the heart. Uh, what comes out of the mouth is what comes out of the heart. Um, and so just an important thing. Many times we think uh, we get concerned with what we're eating and all that, but the focus of, of what uh, James and, and Jesus obviously is teaching us is uh, it's what uh, proceeds out of the mouth that defiles this man. It's what comes out of us. It's, it's that wicked uh, speech that comes out of us that makes us um, you know, more sinful and, and uh, tainted and stained. All right? Uh, let's continue here. My mouse is back in action. Beautiful. In verse 10, James gives us a loving rebuke. And so this is another time 
uh, James says, my brethren, right? He has this pastoral tone throughout the book of James. And in verse 10, you see there, my brethren, these things ought not to be this way. And so he gives a rebuke. Basically, if we say we're Christians, we should act like Christians. We shouldn't be blessing and cursing. We should bless and bless. And so we ought to stop acting like hypocrites. And so, yes, we need a friendly rebuke from time to time. Um, You know, it's very refreshing uh, when you're in sin and then someone points it out. You know, they tell you, hey, man, you you weren't so nice to your wife there. And I was like, oof, I needed that. Thank you. Right. And so, um, yeah, if someone approaches you and they're just gently telling you, hey, maybe uh, you should work on this or you shouldn't do this. You don't have to get defensive. You can say, wow, thank you that the Lord has provided with someone that's going to be accountable and, and tell me, yeah, I said that in a wrong way. Um, and so I, I love that James, throughout this book, uh, he's going to give rebukes. All right. All right. Any questions or comments about, about that? Rebukes? All right. So James gets into uh, three illustrations, right? We did that last week, but here it'll be a little more brief. Uh, Three illustrations. Look at verse 11. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? I think that's probably one of the reasons why I transitioned from the tongue to the mouth to prepare us for this illustration here. Um, And so we're presented with this question, and the answer should be really clear, right? A spring cannot send both fresh and bitter water. And so the importance of a spring of water would be assumed by his audience, right? Those who are familiar with conditions in a dry Palestine. The existence of many villages, the reason why they started a village was because there's a source of water, right? There's that spring that they can drink out of. And so it was so important to have fresh water that was usable. And so we're reminded again with this illustration uh, to not be hypocrites, right? Christians shouldn't be lukewarm. They're called to be consistent, Right at church, at work, in their home, in their marriage, with their children, with their friends, parents, strangers, are you consistent? Right, and so the spring water, this illustration. If you go to it every morning, you expect for fresh water to come out of it. You don't expect one day to come and be like, "What is going on here? Why is it bitter water?" No, no, no. And so that's what James is trying to picture, or, or you know, make a point of. Christians are to be consistent. They're consistently blessing, not cursing. All right, continuing here to the next illustration. Um, We have here a fruit illustration. A fruit illustration. Look at verse 12, another question. Another way to get us to think here. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives or a vine produce figs? And so the answer should be plain again here. Fig trees produce figs and nothing else. The fig, the olive, and the vine. They're... James, it's like he meditated on the Sermon on the Mount. I believe uh, he was looking at uh, Matthew 7, verse 16. So one more verse here. Look at Matthew 7, verse 16. Jesus also used figs um, in his illustrations. And so he's talking about in verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. And then, how are you going to know if they're false prophets? You'll know them by their fruits, right? 
And look what he says here. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree produces good fruit, but the bad tree produces bad fruit. And so Jesus used the picture of figs to explain how true believers are identified, right? When you're saved, um, you know, another way to look at it is uh, the, fruits of, the fruit of the Spirit, right? In Galatians 5, right? Do you have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control? Um, and so uh, he gives an illustration of the fig tree, like I said, and a fig tree is going to produce figs. It, that's plain, that's simple. And same thing, as a believer, you're going to show fruit of the Spirit. I want you to also notice one contrast uh, between the fruits uh, he mentions. And yes, olives are fruits, apparently. I, did, I just learned that. Um, olives are bitter, right? Tardy. If you ever had it, I don't like a lot olives. I don't know if you like olives. Um, but figs, it's, it's sweet, right? And so there's this contrast. Again, uh, there's the contrast between uh, fresh and sweet water and then undrinkable, uh, you know, salty water. And we'll, we'll get to that one next. Um, but yeah, so there's this contrast. And as believers, if you're a true believer, you're going to display good fruit. You're going to display uh, sweet fruit. There's going to be a difference in you. You're going to be uh, a sweet person if you want to put it in that way. All right, lastly, verse 12, we get that last statement um, in James. And it, it's not a question. It's, it's a statement. Look what he says. Nor can salt water produce fresh. So it's a similar application, right, on the consistency of, of nature, right? God has uh, produced uh, trees and, and water and all these different things, and it's consistent. And as believers, if God has made us new... How could we continue in our old ways? And right, so James reminds his audience uh, of a picture that is quite, they're quite familiar with, right? Salt water cannot produce fresh. If you look at the Dead Sea here, anyone who visited the Dead Sea area, they see salt springs are abounding, and they would not expect any fresh water, any inconsistency there. Uh, and so, again, it's similar to the last illustration. It compares the saltiness and the sweet water. One is drink, drinkable and one is not. And so, as believers, we're called to be consistent. Alrighty. Uh, just two quick applications here. First one, and very simply, do not be a hypocrite, right? Examine yourself. Are you a believer? Right? If you are a true believer, you're not going to be a hypocrite. Yes, there are times where we act in a hypocrite way. Yes, I get that. But there should be a constant change in your life. You should be growing in sanctification, uh, growing into the image of Christ. Um, and secondly here, and kind of goes with First Peter a little bit here, be holy, right? We are called to be holy. If the Holy Spirit lives in you, you should be going through this process of growing into the image of Christ. Um, and so... Very important here that we ought to be consistent. We ought to be who we're called to be. All right, in conclusion, we learn the importance of taming the inflamed tongue, right? It's not an easy task. At times, it will feel impossible. The tongue can only be tamed by asking God for help. We need to humble ourselves and see how the tongue is powerful and dangerous. We need to be careful every time we open up our mouth. Just picture a serpent on fire with poison and ready to attack every time you open your mouth, right? 
Don't use the tongue to burn those around you. Use the tongue to bless God and bless others. We also learned that the tongue can be inconsistent. James rebuked us and said, no more, enough. May we strive to be holy and no longer live in hypocrisy. And so tame the tongue by talking to God. The more consistent you are in your prayer life, the less inconsistent you'll be with your tongue. Amen.